breaking earnings. Apple reports after the bell. Will the tech giant meet or beat expectations? Key numbers, shareholder reaction, instant analysis. John Fort, Morgan Brennan, closing bell overtime for Eastern CNBC. Welcome to ETF Edge, the podcast. If you're looking to learn the latest insights on all things exchange traded funds, you are in the right place. Every week we're bringing you interviews and analysis and breaking down what it all means for investors. I'm your host, Bob Pisani. Today on the show, we'll be talking about the record rally and what's behind it, whether the value run-up is really here to stay, and some of the biggest themes in ETFs for 2021. Gold, high yield, equities, and more plus what a Biden presidency might mean for thematic plays like pot ETFs. Here's my conversation with Tim Seymour, founder and CIO of Seymour Asset Management, Jan Von Eck, CEO of Van Eck Associates, and Doug Jonas. He's the head of exchange traded products at the New York Stock Exchange. Doug, I want to start with you and the big picture here. The rally is producing enormous inflows into ETFs. Just check some of the no numbers here. 400 billion in inflows so far this year. That's only the second time that's happened that we passed 400 billion in a single year. And we just passed $5 trillion in assets under management for ETF. That's a real milestone. What are the major themes for 2021? And are we going to continue to see these kinds of big, big inflows? Or is this just due to the rally that we've been seeing in the last few weeks? Yeah, Bob, I mean, you really talk about this record-breaking year ETFs have had. 2020 has, has been amazing. If we look at the lows from March to where we, are, where we are today, about $2 billion per day is coming into net cash flow into U.S. ETFs. And, and so it's just been a tremendous year. And it's been a year of about opportunity. And also, you and I had discussed at the beginning of the year, would 2020 be the year for active management? And the answer is playing out in, in the form of yes. Active management this year, 45 billion in cash flow, almost double what we saw last year. But more importantly, it's been about growth. If you look at all the ETFs launched this year, half of those were actively managed ETFs. And so it's about actively active managers coming to the ETF marketplace and really showing their worth. And we're seeing it in both transparent ETFs, but also these new semi-transparent ETFs. ETFs where a manager doesn't have to show their holdings every day. We now have 15 of those that are in the market, 750 million in assets already. And so it's really been about the intersection of opportunity, opportunity for growth, and then active management really coming and, and, and playing and showing their own in the ETF world. Yeah, active management. We've been waiting for years for this to start moving a little bit. And it makes a lot of sense because right now the active management community is in trouble. They need to find a lower cost way to do business. And the ETF wrapper seems to be the right way to do that. I want to return to active management. But, Jan, let me ask you, the inflows, it looks like, in the last several weeks, they're all in equity ETFs. There seems to be big outflows from bonds and for gold. Is that going to continue into 2020? We've been talking about this. You know, it, will we ever see outflows from bonds ever? It's been inflows for years. Is do you think there's actually some legs to this story? Yeah, I do, uh, mainly because of the macro outlook and the fact that, uh, you know, the 10-year is so low. It's below 1%, right? A year ago, it was 1.8%. Now it's 8 What What the phrase, I don't know how much you've been talking about this, but the phrase we've been talking about with clients is the 40% is broken, meaning the 40% of your, your portfolio is supposed to be in bonds. And, I, you know, institutional investors, advises individuals, no one wants to own a bond with that low an interest rate. So I think there will be um, that combined with our, our house view, which is that global growth 
is really underappreciated, meaning interest rates could go up, which would be bad for bond prices. So I think that, look, bonds are still, I think, a, a trillion dollars in, in the ETF universe, so it's not zero, but I, I do, do think bonds face headwinds. When you say it's broken, you mean that old 60-40 paradigm, which I never agreed with to begin with, doesn't make any sense anymore? Is that what you're, what you're trying to say? Is that what you mean when yeah, you say no, it's broken? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And, you know, the great thing about treasuries, at least, is they provide a negative correlation to the rest of your portfolio. So bonds would typically rise uh, like they did this, fall, uh, this, this spring, government bonds, when the rest of the world is having a tough time. But people are looking for alternatives to those diversifiers. They're looking at gold and, and, and other things. So, uh, listen, some of the money movements with bond ETFs aren't bad. People are look, use ETFs for targeted exposure, and that's why you've seen some of the outflows. Uh, you know, we have, a, we have an ETF, a Fallen Angel ETF, which is a high-yield ETF, and that's seen steady inflows pretty much all year long since, uh, since March. So different yeah, ETFs yeah. for different uses. Yeah, I want to get back to the uh, high yield in a minute because I know you've got some of those funds. But, Tim, let me turn to you. Um, this value rally, uh, this is like the oldest story in the book. We've seen fits and starts in value all throughout the year. <laughs> Nothing has lasted at all. But I'm wondering if this one actually does have legs. All the value ETFs are up 15 to 20 percent this month. Doesn't matter whether you're talking about the S&P, the mid cap, the small cap. Even European value is up, up I think, 17 percent on the month. That qualifies as like well, an eye-opener yeah. to me. I don't know. Does it have real legs at this point, and, and why so, Tim? Yeah, and, and you know, European value has almost been an oxymoron for the last decade, and that's, that's part of where you're going with this. Uh, you know, if we think about what's been working, you know, and, and, and value is, of course, measured relative to itself. So there are sectors um, that are cyclical, but certainly, you know, are, are trading in value territory. Um, and, and I think... Yes, there's there's an argument in favor of industrials, transports, banks, uh, even emerging markets. And, and some of this comes with you. You were just touching on the, the conversation with interest rates. And I, I just use the term normalized because I think we even get back to one four, one, you know, 140 to 160. 160 is really kind of where if you look back is where we started the year and 140 is we really got into the teeth of covid. Um, I think you're going to continue to see that rotation, which would absolutely be benefiting banks and banks uh, on a relative basis are value territory. Some of the industrial names are benefiting not only from COVID trends, but also uh, bottom up fundamentals. I mean, look at the auto sector and look at some of those fundamentals uh, and the fact that Ford and GM, as an example, are, are, are companies that have been value names for years. I mean, GM is, has been you know, arguably a waste of, of an allocation uh, for, for almost five years and is now appearing like it's starting to move on company specific fundamentals, but also this sense that you're, uh, and Jan referred to this too, just that you're getting in an industrialized uh, response from the market and you're, you only need to begin to price in the beginning of a recovery to get this. I would just caution though, we've seen this rotation multiple times in the last six months. Uh, yes. And people were, were claiming yeah. growth was dead, triple Qs were dead in May into June. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jan, I wonder the broader question. We talk about value versus growth all the time as if it's a real asset class. And I've always had grave doubts about whether you can lump these companies together uh, at all. It, it, I'm wondering if the whole value versus growth story is sort of irrelevant at this point. I mean, I mean Tim mentioned banks and energy. See, this makes some sense to me. Banks are obviously rallying because yields are going up. Net interest income should be going up. That's a significant part of large banks' 
uh, uh, revenue base. So that makes sense to me. Energy stocks should be going up. The whole country, if you look at refiners, they're up 30% in the last few weeks. The whole country's acting like they're going to go on vacation in, this, in the first or second quarter uh, of next year. Well, that makes some sense to me, too. I don't know if value versus growth makes, make, makes a lot of sense at, at this point. Should we just sort of drop that I, moniker? I, I really agree with you, uh, Bob. I, I do think that's an oversimplification. And, and really, I think the whole industry has been moving away from value, even though it's a great simplifier. And I also like to look at on an industry basis. I think the bottom line is a company has to transform itself continuously to take advantage of technology trends, or there is no value at the end of the day. So Tim mentioned GM. That's a perfect example. Mary Barr there is trying to transform GM um, into a much more asset light, technology driven uh, kind of company. And everyone needs to do that. Even asset managers need to do that. So, uh, so I think financials and energy will get a reprieve. But if a you know if a big bank is not investing in technology into the payments, you know the digital payments infrastructure and everything, you know they 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 won't they won't make it in the long term. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that. I, I have been tired of the value versus growth story for a long time. I understand it's got a long history. I understand there's a, you know, research going back to the 1930s about it. And I understand Graham and Dodd and all of that. But I don't quite understand why people think it's, a, it's an amazing asset class. I prefer sectors that might be called value over, over that. That's enough for the editorial for the day. Uh, Doug, let me ask you, go back about the active management. How much more do you think this has to go? So we have $5 trillion in, in ETFs. I think that's a big milestone. that We just hit that. Um, but how much do we have in, in mutual funds? Still like $20 trillion, something like that, more than that? Uh, it, yeah. it, do, yep. do you see a significant move in 2021? I mean, is this the start of a big, big move uh, from away from mutual funds into ETFs? We, we think so. I mean, the, the opportunity set of ETFs has always been there. We, we understand their tradability, their lower, lower cost infrastructure, the ability for an active manager to package their same alpha, but put it in a wrapper that, that's going to be much more tax efficient and have global distribution opportunities. So it really is a better mousetrap, if you will, for an active manager. And now they have a solution to be able to put into place where they can still do active stock picking. They can still manage their own money without investors seeing what they're doing every single day with that veil of transparency, if you will, uh, that ETFs typically provide. And so now it's, a, it's, a, it's an opportunity to come to market. We're seeing it already. I mentioned there's 15 of these ETFs that are already in play, but the pipeline, I will tell you, is, is dramatic. And so I would expect in the next six months, we'll see double, maybe triple the number of semi-transparent ETFs come into play. And it's the largest active managers in the world. They want an ability to tap into yeah. this growth market. They're seeing ETFs grow dramatically and, and it's a better way to, to shield their alpha. Yeah. Yeah. And we see some very, very successful mutual fund people moving into the active management ETF space. We're waiting for dimensional fund advisors, a very successful, very well thought of uh, organization uh, on Wall Street, um, waiting for them to uh, make that move over. They've already announced that. Um, but give me some dollars. I mean, what could we attract a trillion dollars, two trillion dollars next year? Could we be sitting here at this time next year saying uh, the ETF business is in uh, an eight trillion dollar business and two trillion of that is active management. I'm I'm pushing you a little, but 
stop being so yeah, abstract. So, what is it, it really? It's mean? always it's always hard to predict the future, right, Bob? I mean, none of us has that crystal ball, but we do believe we're we're planting a forest, if you will, and and maybe it's not a, a six month or a one year time frame, but we do ultimately believe a large portion of the actively managed funds industry will move into the ETF for all the aforementioned reasons. So yeah, I don't think it's unreasonable to say there'll be a trillion dollars in actively managed ETFs in, in the next year or two. I think that that's a, a reasonable goal. We're seeing it happen. We're seeing people in the works of, of working to convert traditional mutual funds direct into an ETF. So uh, if conversions start to take off, you can imagine uh, the dollar movement very quickly. And even if it's not a conversion market, you'll probably see a lot of clone strategies come to market. People who are running very successful, large, actively managed mutual funds, but want to do so in an ETF wrapper. So again, it's it's more about opportunity and it's more about a growth story than anything else for active managers to be able to use ETFs. One observation, I mean, it's stunning. You know, we had a lot of difficulty with fixed income ETFs in, in March and April, right, with big discounts to NAV, a lot of dysfunction in the markets overall, not just ETF related, obviously. But it's just stunning the demand that investors have for liquidity and transparency of ETFs. I mean, it's, it's as if it didn't even happen when you see the inflows, uh, you know, sub subsequent to that. Um, you know, both both on the on the fixed equity side, of course, but on the fixed income side is more eye-opening to me. I just would have thought that we would have gotten more questions, and there were questions for about a month, and then and then the inflows started. So I think Doug's got a really easy job. Well, well well, why, why weren't why weren't there more questions? What kind of questions were you expecting, Jan? No, I just think what it reflects is that, well, questions as to listen, why is my investment grade fixed income ETF at a five percent discount to net asset value, or another, you know, others were well over ten or fifteen percent discounts to NAV from big oh, fund right. families. And it was it reflected the dislocation in the underlying bond markets. But my main point here is investors love the, the transparency of ETFs when they know what they're getting and the liquidity. It's just right. a great, easy way to, for them to put money to work in a, yeah. in a very defined manner. Let me let's uh, we haven't hit on high yield uh, yet, Jan. And guys, feel free to jump in. I know, Jan, you run two high yield funds, at least the the angel, the fallen angel ETF uh, and the HYD, which is the municipal bond high yield uh, ETF. Uh, so what's the bet now, Jan? Is, is the bet that a credit crisis is unlikely? We're seeing rallies here in all these high yield ones. Uh, is, is the bet that a credit crisis is unlikely with a reopening story or and I, I guess I'm wondering, can we make it to the other side without a lot of defaults? We're, the market's kind of looking over this valley here that we're going to have for the next three or four months. Your thoughts on high yield? Well, I mean, everyone's been able to refinance at lower rates, which is really given the boost to, uh, to fixed income and high yield. Uh, I, we didn't see as many defaults in, in high yield as we might have thought this year. Uh, so corporate Look, you, you can get income only one of kind of two ways. You really can't even lengthen duration anymore, right? You can't go to a 10-year or 30-year bond. So you have to take more credit risk, which is why people are looking at high yield. And you still get a 4% uh, pickup in yield. And, and there's obviously a lot of demand for that, especially in the backdrop of the world economy getting better that I talked about before. I think the muni market is much tougher. There was a, there was a lot of uh, a lot of disruption and yeah. a lot of pain there. And it really depends on the political solution <clears throat> if, if Washington will bail out some of the states here. Well, I just, you know, you, you mentioned Washington. 
And, and you know, the biggest driver to me for the high-yield market has been the Fed. Uh, and if you think about yeah. really both the, the implied put and, you know, Jan's fallen angel fund, I mean, if anything, um, you know, it's, it's, it's targeting being there in the on-deck circle, um, waiting uh, for, you know, any of these, these big companies and corporates with huge exposure across uh, multiple asset classes to fall. And, and I think um, that backstop by the Fed has is, is been most beneficial in, in high yield. And, and frankly, that backstop's going nowhere. Um, so the Fed is asking everybody to reach out the credit curve and, and the risk curve, um, and they're there. And, and I think, if anything, uh, again, you know, two years ago, we were talking about that, that, that mass of triple B uh, into triple B minus that was at risk of teetering into, into high yield and, and the devastation that that might find. I mean, the irony is, of course, that the Fed's still buying uh, Apple's debt, um, but they're threatening to buy all of the high yield debt as needed. And that's actually driving returns without them having yeah. to spend much money. Right. I was going to say exactly that. You're, it's the implied put. I mean, the Federal Reserve has essentially ring fenced high yield. You can't do any better than yeah. that at this point. Uh, Jan, while I got you here, uh, gold, uh, you're one of the gold mavens uh, out there. Uh, can you explain why we're seeing the weakness in gold recently? Is it about interest rates? Is it about inflation? Is it about the uh, weaker? Uh, is it about the dollar? And what about gold versus Bitcoin? Is there something to that e e you know, equation about one playing off of the other? Uh, well, certainly we're, we're less bullish on gold because of what you know, potential rise in rates we're calling for maybe on the 10-year next year to get to 1.5% to 2%. So if real rates go up, I would say that's the, that's the enemy of the gold trade. So we're a little less bullish. And we don't think that's tremendously disruptive to the gold bull market, but it is a little bit of a headwind. Uh, I do think Bitcoin, Bitcoin has been the asset of the year, really. Um, it's rallying right through this rotation to value um, that, that Tim was talking about. So, uh, so I do think that is taking away some marginal demand for, for gold. Uh, but, but still, there are many investors that will only stick with gold. Uh, so that's, uh, is, so is there actually a trade like that, Jan? Is there a trade out of gold and into Bitcoin? I mean, what would be the rationale there for that, other well, than to look for one relatively, you know, high beta investment to another one, or really high beta investment? Well, I think there's always alternatives. Gold competes with silver. Gold competes with gold shares. Uh, there's always other stores of value. And, you know, we've been trying to push for a Bitcoin ETF for years, and we think that Bitcoin is another type of competitor to gold and you should really should own a little of each of those that's really that's really do you my think we're going to get do you think we're going to get a bitcoin etf under a democratic as democrat controlling the sec no idea <laughs> stay away from that one okay wow. we're going to move on nobody's raising yeah, their hands on this one okay <laughs> go ahead all right hey tim uh, this is the part of the uh, yeah. program where we ask about pot etfs <laughs> those of you who don't know tim okay. is our maven on 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 pot uh, he's long a number of names. Uh, he's the portfolio manager of a cannabis ETF, and he sits on advisory boards for a cannabis company. So the full disclosure on all of this, uh, Tim, they've been all over sure. the place, uh, although CNBS is, uh, is, is OK. Tell us a little bit about what's going on. Bob, you're, you're, the, you're the one with the, the psychedelic posters behind you. So um, but uh, <laughs> now let's talk about cannabis. The, the dynamics in the cannabis sector are 
are uh, really extraordinary. And the top down and through the election cycle, we saw five new states uh, vote through uh, either adult or, or medical uh, markets. Uh, the top line growth story is 30 to 40 percent. Uh, you know, I don't need to get too deep into uh, the top-down consumption story. This is CPG. This is very sophisticated, and the country's in favor. Um, so it's really going to be about uh, finding the right exposure. So in ETF land, look, we're we're the only uh, you know cannabis you know derivative derivative-free cannabis ETF that's that's up year to date. And if I looked at my screens coming in, I think you know we're up about ten and a half percent. If I'm looking at my Reuters screens this morning, um, the largest cannabis ETF is down 23%. So this is all about active management. This is all about being someone that's investing in a sector and in the middle of the sector, talking to companies and, and watching the allocations because it's moving very quickly. Um, but it's notable how profitability in the sector, which was once thought of, hey, growth at any cost, and a lot of the big Canadian names, frankly, um, were, were, were spending money not only that they didn't have, but uh, to build capacity to nowhere. And, and I think part of the trade um, has been, first of all, as you would do in any active portfolio on the way down, and it was a vicious bear market, it was about being defensive. It was about finding the best balance sheets. It was about finding the companies um, that actually hadn't levered their balance sheet or, or put a bunch of dilutive equity warrants in their in their structure. So that's that's really what we're doing at CNBS. And I think the sector, uh, you know, people may or may not believe in what's going on in the cannabis story. But again, this is a a, a national issue and, and the macro on it, which continues to be one where states are plugging uh, holes in, in budgets and fiscal through cannabis legalization and, and the country the country doesn't care. More importantly, it's a very sophisticated consumer product story and, and active management and being thematic in the space is, is what we do and it's, and it's working. I love that line. It's a very sophisticated story. I don't hear that a lot about <laughs> pot ETFs, but I appreciate that. Um, well, this is for intelligent people, Bob. This is not for you, Bob. Well, I'll explain it to other people later on. But thank you for clearing that up for us. I love the Led Zeppelin poster, by the way. Don't think I didn't notice that. All right. I got my eyes open. Here. Doing what I can, Bob. Fellow yeah, old, doing what I can. Fellow old. You're just an old hippie like me. There, there you go there. Thank you, gentlemen. I very much appreciate uh, Thanks, Bob. you coming around. Jan and Tim and Doug Jonas, uh, all friends of mine. Now it's time to round out the conversation with some analysis and perspective to help you better understand ETFs with our Markets 102 portion of the podcast. Today we'll be talking about a milestone for the ETF market. Here's my producer, Kirsten Chang. So, Bob, we have another record rally on our hands on the heels of another strong week for ETF flows. Over $30 billion pouring into U.S. ETFs last week, the bulk of it going into U.S. equity ETFs, but also pockets of strength in global equities and fixed income. Is sentiment running a little hot here, you think, especially given valuations? Or is that no longer the right metric to measure the strength of the market buy right now? There's two things going on here, Kirsten. First, there is a slow but inexorable trend out of mutual funds and ETFs that has been going on essentially for more than a decade. And that is the main driver of money into the ETF business. Sometimes you'll get more flows into bonds. And in recent years, we have as a, as a safe haven play than into stocks. Uh, recently, however, we have been seeing enormous inflows into equities. And I think this is very much related to the reopening and vaccine story. So remember, while we may have a, a rather difficult three or four months ahead of us uh, as we have to deal with COVID without a vaccine, 
the stock market is looking over that valley, uh, that COVID value, valley, you might call it, to the reopening spring. The market is anticipating that by the second quarter of next year, uh, there's going to be a reopening story happening and that a vaccine will be successfully implemented in large parts of the population. That is causing an enormous rally. First, we had a rally earlier uh, on the growth stocks, on technology stocks, and on the idea that no matter what, COVID is going to force companies to be more efficient. And more efficiency means more technology. That's why the technology companies did better. Other parts of the economy, like banks and energy and industrials, really suffered because that's the real economy. However, if the real economy starts opening up, well, maybe you're not going to see a big rally in growth stocks like technology, because that's already happened. But you could see a very big rally in energy stocks, in industrial stocks, uh, and in other parts of the economy, like bank stocks. And that's exactly what we're seeing. That's why we're getting this rally. So this is a kind of all-in rally that we're seeing. And when that happens, what ETFs are now used, not just for investing purposes, but for tactical purposes. What's, what, what does that mean? It means that ETFs can be used by investors for long-term purposes. You can buy mutual, uh, you can buy ETFs that are uh, the S&P 500 or the Russell 2000 and hold them for years. Or you can have investors that trade actively buy ETFs for tactical purposes. Tactical means they're not going to hold them that long necessarily. So what you're getting now is an explosion of both of them. You're getting a lot of long-term investors who've been sitting on the sidelines saying, good God, I don't know what's going on with this COVID thing. I'm not going to do much. Now they're starting to see over the valley because of the vaccine. They're putting money into the stock market. And the way to do that, the easiest, simplest way is to buy ETFs. That's why we're seeing these inflows, this $400 billion this year. Uh, what's happened is that uh, that's the biggest amount that's come in since 2017. And the only the second time we passed $400 billion. So that's a big, big move up. And while I, as I said, this is partly because there's this inexorable flow from mutual funds into ETFs. It's the reopening rally towards the end of the year that's pushed everything over the top. You also had a major milestone for the ETF market, of course, assets crossing $5 trillion for the first time ever. What's driving that strength? And will we continue to see that kind of growth next year? What are some of the uh, hot areas to watch for? I think the key story, as I mentioned, is the equity rally. Um, we have seen inflows into bonds for a good part of the year. That is starting to reverse, although in the grand scheme of things, the outflows from bonds have been fairly small. You have to keep an eye on that, though, because if rates keep going up, and they have been, you may see some serious uh, outflows uh, from bonds at this point. I think another key point is this whole active management story. We've been talking for several years about active managers and mutual funds. These are people who are stock pickers. They charge more money than passive funds. So instead of you know 10 basis points or 20 or 30 basis points to manage a, a passive fund like the S&P 500, um, active managers pick stocks and they charge more. They might charge 50 to 100 basis points a year. Well, the problem here is because most active managers don't outperform, they're losing money to ETFs and to passive funds. So active managers who are still relatively viable are looking to move into an ETF wrapper because it's cheaper. So instead of charging, you know, maybe 100 basis points, maybe they can charge 30 basis points or 40 basis points. It's also more tax efficient 
to use an ETF wrapper. So there's a number of reasons why these people want to get out. Now, there's a lot of money here. Um, there's still about $20, $21 trillion sitting in the mutual funds. There's $5 trillion in ETFs. We just passed $5 trillion. So think about this, $21 trillion versus $5 trillion, that's an awful lot of money that can go out of mutual funds and into ETFs. And I think active management is going to be a very big theme uh, in 2021 because those guys who are still viable, who can still survive as active managers, they know they've got to lower their costs because they're losing people even if they're good. And they know that ETF, the wrapper of an ETF, is a better way for them to just stay in business in general. So I think that uh, I don't know if we're going to see $8 trillion at this time next year, but I think it's quite possible that we could somewhere around there. That's it for today. I'm Bob Pisani. Thank you for listening. And make sure you tune in next week. And in the meantime, you can tweet us your questions or topic ideas at ETF Edge CNBC. Breaking earnings. Apple reports after the bell. Will the tech giant meet or beat expectations? Key numbers, shareholder reaction, instant analysis. John Fort, Morgan Brennan, closing bell overtime for Eastern CNBC.